Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God's. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribe say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury And watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came. Put in two small copper coins. Which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them. Truly I say to you. This poor widow. Has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. Would you turn back in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12? Now, have you ever experienced uh, someone struggling perhaps to commit? Okay, perhaps you're trying to meet up with someone and they, they just kept on having excuses after excuse or, or perhaps it was in a relationship and they just wanted to be kind of a bit footloose and fancy free. Uh, perhaps you can be a bit like that. You, you like to keep as many options open as possible. You, you never say yes to an invitation until right at the last minute, just in case, just in case there's something better that was going to come along. 
And, it, and it's not only to others, it's also in our personal lives, isn't it? We commit to going to the gym regularly. We commit to not eating any chocolate. And to be honest, we struggle. Uh, we fade in, we fade out, and slowly it drags. It's, it's much easier to kind of be half-hearted in it. Uh, we slowly wane like the moon. Um, our effort just slowly gets smaller and smaller. We want to be wholehearted. We want to be fully committed, but it doesn't happen. And it's the same with our religion, isn't it? We can um, shuffle along, half-hearted, kind of in, but actually wondering if, if something better will come along. But here in Mark 12, God gives us a view of what a wholehearted, all-in kind of Christian life looks like. Like the moon in full brilliance rather than waning. It's, it's, a, it's super challenging. But also, it's what we're all searching for and longing to experience. So perhaps buckle up a bit for the ride. Now, we're in the final stages of Mark's Gospel. We're, we're right in the midst of confrontation between Jesus and religious leaders. Uh, Jesus the King has come, and he's judging his way with people. And the religious leaders have been pushing back in these last few chapters, firing questions at him, trying to get him trapped, trying to get him discredited. They've asked him by what authority he judges. They've asked him about taxes. They've asked him about the resurrection. And here we get the final one. But this has a bit of a different feel to it. Okay, this scribe comes along, he sees Jesus has answered well, and the question seems to be more genuine here. This guy seems to actually want to know. And what's the question that we get? Which commandment is the most important of all? It's a question scribes and teachers would have been asking a lot, thinking through what summarizes the law, what unlocks it. In essence, he's asking, what is life meant to look like? How do we navigate life in a good and right way? It's a really good question. I wonder what you would say. Obviously, if you didn't know what Jesus answered, if we hadn't read it, but what summarizes life? How to live in this world? I don't know what words spring to mind. Is it integrity? Perhaps it's that phrase, believe in yourself. Look after number one. I'm not sure. But for Jesus, his answer is this. It's wholehearted love. Wholehearted love. Now Jesus in his answer doesn't come out with some kind of, he's not some kind of new guru that is bringing a totally new way to live. He goes straight to the law and he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus from the Old Testament. Verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus gets right to the heart of the law, right to the heart of living for God, and it's love, wholehearted love. Jesus brings the whole law down to these two commandments, love God and love others. But notice how he begins it. He begins it with what the, the Jews called the Shema. That's the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's how he starts off. Jesus wants us to see the oneness of God. One God, who's God alone. God, he's not divided, he's not split up. No, he is one. So your devotion should be one. 
God is one, so the whole of us, our, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength is centered in love for God. Our entire being is whole, in wholehearted love for God. And how's that wholehearted love for God expressed? Well, it's expressed also in love for others, isn't it? These two commandments aren't in competition. Get the first one right. And it will flow out in the second. It's an all-encompassing vision, isn't it? And the scribe qualifies it in a, in a helpful way, verse 33. This love, it's much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's saying, yes, love involves actions. As one songwriter put it, love is a doing word. It does involve obedience and living as God commanded. But for it to be more than offerings, more than sacrifices that God has commanded, that means love is its more than just an action. These offerings can be made with no love at all. Love involves actions, but it's more than that. It's a direction of the heart. It's our affections, it's our desires focused on God, on his good, on his glory, on his name. A love then that spills out in seeking the good for others wholehearted giving in love to others it's a wonderful vision of life isn't it it's not divided but whole it's not self-seeking but outwards towards God and others centered on our loving creator it's like the full moon shining brightly now this means that there is a right way to live in our worlds a lot of people will say perhaps you've heard it perhaps you've said it we, we each make our own path. We're not to criticize what others are doing. Do what's good for you. But that's not Jesus' answer. Jesus says, no, there's one right way, and it's wholehearted love and devotion to God and to others. Also, Jesus' answer means we are made, we are made for full-on commitment to God. Some of us love uh, to sit on the fence. You know, I can be really bad at making decisions and a halfway house, it can be so tempting because then I never actually have to come down on either side. And we can do that with life. We kind of put our luck in with loads of different things. We spread bet. We, we can be like the Greeks who, who gave sacrifices to loads of gods and, and even had an extra just in case they'd forgotten one. And we can do the same. You know, mosque on Friday, synagogue on Saturday, church on Sunday. We can dabble with different religions, perhaps just with our allegiances. Work has our heart during the week. Family has it on Saturday and God has it on Sunday. But no, Jesus says that the way is full out, wholehearted, single direction towards the one creator God. God is one. And the scribe was getting there. He realized the truth in what Jesus had said. He, he got the insight. He got the beauty and the importance of love over all things. As Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But notice he's close. But he's not there. Oh, it's, good. it's good to realize what the scribe has realized. He gets the importance of love over all things. But he's still not in the kingdom of God. And I wonder if it's because Jesus' good news isn't just about knowing the law. It's about a deep change so then you can follow the law. Remember right back at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, Jesus came on the scene and what did he preach right at the start? 
He said this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. To follow the law, to live the life of love, something needs to happen inside. Repentance and belief. That scribe and us too need a total change inside. And Jesus shows this in the next two little moments of teaching. So not just a wholehearted love, but second, wholehearted change. Wholehearted change. The, the, the questioning has ended in verse 34. And now Jesus takes things to his opponents, these scribes. He, he takes on their understanding of the Christ and also their behavior. And what he's doing is showing up their divided hearts, their lack of wholehearted love to show they need a deep change. They don't just need to know the law, they need a deep change so they can keep the law. Now the scribes as a group were missing the two vital things that Jesus had commanded in, verse, in chapter 1, repentance and belief. And he shows, he does it backwards, he first shows their belief and then shows uh, their repentance. So first, um, Jesus raises a conundrum, a problem. The scribes teach that the Christ must be the son of David. Now Jesus isn't um, saying that's wrong. Okay? He accepted the title for himself when Bartimaeus called him the son of David a few chapters before. But he's questioning whether that's it. If you notice, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 that we sung earlier. The Lord said to my Lord... Uh, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So David, you've just got to work out who the people are. David is writing the psalm and he's saying God spoke to the Christ. And what does David call the Christ? He calls him my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. So Jesus questions, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So what's Jesus doing here? He's getting people to see that the scribes' view of the Christ was just too small. They had assumed that Christ is a son of David, yes, but a lesser David, just an imprint of David. But that's too small. The Christ is not only the son, but also the Lord. The Christ is not only after David, but he's before David. The scribes need to believe in a bigger Christ, a true son of God, both a son of David, but, a much, but much greater than David, perhaps even God himself taking on human flesh, God and man in one person. To be in the kingdom needs a wholehearted change, and it's a change of belief. Jesus isn't some optional extra. The true Christ, the Lord and son of David, he's central to the kingdom. He's pivotal. To be in the kingdom requires believing in the king, trusting him as he is, God and man, the glorious servant. Loving God requires Jesus to be in the picture, the true Jesus. And this is a major change in belief, isn't it? For many then and many today, perhaps for you today, you need to hear being a Christian is not just about living a good life. It's about believing in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That's why we're called Christians. We're all about the Christ, 
We're about Jesus. Jesus who lived and died on this earth. But he's not just a historical figure. He's not just for the history and the philosophy books. He's actually the eternal son through whom all things were created. He's, he's one with the Father and the Spirit. One God. The risen king of all glory. Now I know this is a big deal to believe. And if you don't believe it yet, look closer at Jesus. I don't know, come along this Thursday to Hope Explored. Find out more. But to be part of God's kingdom, that requires wholehearted change, a wholehearted change in belief. But for wholehearted love to fill our lives, there also needs to be a wholehearted change in our hearts. We need repentance. And Jesus alerts those listening, not just to the scribes' teaching, but also to the scribes' lives, their behavior. And it's not that these guys lacked love. It's just that their love was utter self-love. They wanted the praise, the adulation, and the glory. It was self-love. Verse 38, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. These guys were impressive. They wore the designer labels. They drove around in sweet sports cars. They knew the big names. They were invited to the right parties, the right social events. But they also spoke at the best Christian conferences. That they name dropped their their latest meal with an A-list celebrity. They took autographs. They wanted to be a big deal. They were in love, in love with themselves. Now, self-love—it's—it's not the same as uh, some kind of self-respect. Okay, self-respect comes from knowing we're made in God's image. It's a—it's a security in who God made us to be. It means we don't hate who God has made us, and instead we can be outward looking but no self-love is different to that it's seeking vain glory it's making life all about me and my success at its core is me first it's the total opposite of jesus summary isn't it god first and this self-love overflows rather in love for others utter abuse Terrific, devouring widows' houses. In other words, using their power, their wealth, their status to decimate the poorest and the most vulnerable. Abuse, manipulation of the weak for their own self-gain. We see it again and again in society and in the church, don't we? Strong, powerful, self-obsessed people ruining the weak. Whether it's pedophiles like Jimmy Savile or or big name church leaders like Ravi Zacharias. Self-love shown in vile abuse of others. And Jesus says, beware of the scribes. Beware. Beware both of them taking advantage of you. But also beware of how you can become like them. The lure of self-glory is so strong. The pull, the pull of celebrity culture. The desire to be famous, we want it. That the seeds of this are in our hearts too. Now I hope and pray many of us, we, we do not abuse like this. And that is a good thing. But we do lose our temper because people don't love us as we think they should. We do drop a snide remark because someone has deflated our ego. Self-love, it's in us too. And these scribes knew the law. They knew that it said love God and love others, but they hadn't let that shine into their hearts. 
There was no repentance of sin. There was no seeking of forgiveness, no desire to live a changed life. These scribes needed a wholehearted change in their hearts, conviction of their wickedness, their lack of love for God, their abuse of others. If if you've never seen your own sin before, if you've never been convicted that you're wrong, that you failed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, that you failed to love others as yourself, then there won't have been a deep change inside. You haven't actually ever come to Jesus. And the stakes are high. Jesus is clear, verse 40, they will receive the greater condemnation. His, his quote of Psalm 110 is the same effect, until I put your enemies under your feet. There will be judgment for those who reject God, who reject his Christ and his laws, who love themselves and treat others badly. To live with wholehearted love, we need a wholehearted change. We need change in our beliefs and our hearts. We need to see our sin. We need to be convicted of how awful it is. Why? So we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus for forgiveness and help. We come to him. He provides that change. His spirit is a spirit that can transform our hearts. Christianity is not a self-help kind of religion. Jesus doesn't say, just be positive. Think better about your life. Get in a good mental headspace and everything will be okay. No, he wants us to see we need a deep change inside. As he says elsewhere, we, we need to be born again. So we come to him for it. We come to him for wholehearted change. And when he does, when he does start to change us from the insights, well, the results are extraordinary because it turns a life into wholehearted sacrifice. That's our third thing, wholehearted sacrifice. Let's turn to this little, uh, last little incident, starting in verse 41. Okay, Jesus is sitting at the treasury. Perhaps he and the disciples have found a, a, a shady spot at the end of a hot day with a, the view that looked over a number of containers. They're said to have kind of trumpet-shaped uh, mouths where people would come and, and put their money It's a little like a giving dish at a museum or something like that. And clearly people could see how much others were giving. And the rich were coming along and putting in lots of money. A great thing for the temple and for the ministry. Perhaps the gold and silver coins worth many months' wages. Perhaps they glinted in the light or made a large rattling sound in the dish. But then Jesus sees this poor widow. Perhaps one of the widows who had suffered at the hands of the scribes, as we heard earlier, and she comes, she puts two small copper coins in. That only just makes up a penny. It's a tiny fraction of what the rich had given. Now, she certainly wasn't there for show. There wouldn't be any press taking photos or writing home about the size of her gift. She just gave it. But Jesus saw something else going on. He said this, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now Jesus' accountancy here wouldn't have passed any exams, would it? It's all upside down. She's put in more? Of course she hasn't. But Jesus wasn't talking about the mount, but about her heart. For they all contributed out of their abundance But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
Here we see it. Here we see what's going on. This is wholehearted love in action, isn't it? This is wholehearted sacrifice. That phrase at the end, all she had to live on, it literally says her whole life. Her entire life. It's the same word as Jesus had used for all our hearts and all our soul. This is what a heart sold out in love for God looks like. It's a poor widow giving out everything she had. Perhaps, I don't know, she may have had a few more coins coming in the next day for her next day's food. But today, it was all going to others. Every last penny this wasn't about quantity or show it's not about the amount or the quality it was about a heart of love shown in sacrifice I don't know about you but often I think we can wish we were like others God would like my gift if I was more like them I I wish I had more money so I could plant loads of churches I wish I could be a great speaker and save thousands for Jesus I wish I could be funnier, cleverer, healthier so that, so that perhaps other days the widow had wished she had had more to give I don't know but Jesus says no, it's not about you in comparison to others it's not about the, the, the impact or the outcome it's about giving what you have Giving what God has given to you for others. It's wholehearted sacrifice, whatever the outcome. It's wholehearted love that comes from a wholehearted change poured out in wholehearted sacrifice. How much of your life are you willing to give to God? How much are you going to get enmeshed with Him? Are you going to be like someone on their first date? You know, kind of guarded. Only telling stories that make you look good, shaking hands at the door and giving them the wrong number so they can't ring you back? Or are you going to be like a husband and wife? Utter transparency, utter commitment, for better, for worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. Will you go all in with Jesus and his God? It's our whole life, everything we have. It's our commitments, our time and our wallet. It's letting Jesus change our hearts, let him shape our desires to love the things he loves, wants the things he wants. It's handing over our control of things. Handing over our priorities as we look for work. Handing over our heart as we look for a spouse. Handing over our bank balance as we arrange our holidays and house renovations. Handing over our Sundays as we plan our hobbies. But a changed life, a sacrificial life, a, a life of love, that, that's life in the kingdom of God, isn't it? It's not near it, but in it. It's a fulfilled life, a pure life, an eternal life, a, a full moon shining brightly. No longer facing the condemnation we all deserve, but a life freed from guilt by the King, David's Lord, who came not uh, just to judge, but instead to die. We are a long way from this, aren't we? But we have a gracious Lord who's changing our hearts, making us more and more like Christ. Oh, may our lives be like this poor widow's, in Jesus' strength, as he changes us. It can be. Amen.